The scripture for today comes from the letter of Paul to the Philippians. If you have your pew Bibles, that would be on page 980. And we're going to be hearing Pastor Susan preach on chapter 1, 1 through 7. Please listen carefully for this is the Word of God. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. This is the word of God. You're probably wondering why I'm wearing a suit. For those of you who are regulars, you know that I don't usually wear a suit. And it's nice. It's nice to, to dress sharply. Um, I'm not wearing a suit because uh, our church is a traditional type of place where the pastor wears a suit. It's because I'm going to a wedding. <laughs> After our uh, congregational meeting today, um, my wife and I have to hop into a car and head off to the East Bay. And I'm actually, not only we're, am I going to, I'm officiating that wedding, it's actually a really wonderful occasion because it's a, um, a sister that we've known for many years. She was a, um, a member of this church many years ago. It's, it's, it was, it's Teresa. All right, so for those of you guys who know her, right? And um, so that's, that's, uh, that's the reason, okay? Um, to get at this message today, today we're starting a new series. And Pastor Young and I, we, we batted around what to call this series. Um, and really, it's a series that's going to take us through the book of Philippians. And the book of Philippians um, is a letter written to a church out in a, in, in a Roman colony called Philippi. It's an important city at the time. And the Philippian church was probably very much Paul's favorite church. It's a beautiful church. And when he speaks to them, he keeps using this word, I have joy, I have joy. I long for you, I have joy. And one of the reasons why we wanted to talk about this, why we wanted to go through this book, is because in many ways, I believe that this church has the qualities of the type of church that I, I, I long for us to become. That the type of church that San Jose knew hope, the way they radiate the hope that we have through Jesus Christ and so, as we get into this message today, and as we go through this series, I hope that you'll, that you'll have that in mind. What type of people can we become? And I know that many, and I'm going to say a little something about this today, that oftentimes when we go to church, you see it as primarily a religious institution, and I'm going to go there and get something out of it. But that whole kind of orientation toward what is church and how we are connected to church is actually quite backwards. Church is actually something bigger than us. And it's something that's, that's connected to God. And if we're going to become whole and fulfilled human beings, we must be a part of what he's doing. We're never going to become full human beings until we're part of the community that God intended us to be. There's no such thing as just community as an optional thing that's out there, and then that somehow we go and join it and get something out of it. There's a highly self-centered and indiv- radically individualistic way we think. And so as we go through this series, I want you to constantly be thinking about what kind of people am I going to allow to come shape me, and then am I going to be a part of to become the kind of person that, that God would have me be, all right? So to get into this series, um, I'm going to do this in three parts as I, as I typically do. Part one, I'm going to call the birth of a beautiful church, and I'm going to give you the backstory of how the Philippian church was started, okay? The birth of a beautiful church, part two. Um, In this passage, Paul talks about being a partaker of grace and a partner of the gospel. I'm going to talk about partakers and partners. We are partakers and partners. And then part three, what does it mean to share in Christ, share with Jesus Christ, okay? So part one, the birth of a beautiful church. Um, You don't have to go there, but... Um, I won't take us through you know, every little bit of this passage. But if you're curious, and that you could go home and read Acts chapter 16. And Acts chapter 16 is a story of how this church was started. And let me just kind of give you the background of this. 
Um, the, at the time when, when, when the gospel was just hitting the world, Jesus had been crucified, he had been risen, he had commissioned his, his disciples to go out into the world. He called forth Paul to be one of his apostles. And Paul specifically went to go forth beyond the, the Jewish cities and cross into the Greco-Roman cities. And so he took some partners with him, and they would go from city to city to city, preaching the gospel. Some would get saved, and then he would plant a church right there. That's how, that's, that's how they did it. So he and his partners, those Paul and Silas and others, they came to Philippi, and often what they would do is they would go to the place where those people who knew at least something of the true God, they were often Jews, and sometimes not only Jews. And so it says in Acts 16 that they went to this place called a place of prayer. It's a little hard to exactly quite know what that means. It might have been, it probably wasn't a synagogue, because they would have just said it was a synagogue. Um, it's, it's, uh, it's a little unclear there. And, um, but some type of a place of worship. And, and unlike in, in, our, in our modern times, um, we're, we think that worship is something that only religious people do and that largely people tend to assume that you're secular unless you choose, you choose something to worship. Um, throughout almost all of history, people all, all knew that they needed to worship some God or some power above themselves because they all knew that we were limited beings. And they were very vulnerable. And so throughout almost in every Greco-Roman city, there were places to worship. But I guess there were particularly a place where those who knew the God of the scriptures, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, where they would go and gather. So Paul and Silas and some of their partners, they went there to go. And I guess it was a place of free teaching and preaching. And so it's a little bit different than what we're used to. And as there was an appropriate time, Paul stood up, he preached the gospel. And it says that there was a woman there, there was a gathering of women, and the woman's name was Lydia. And Lydia, Lydia, it says that she was a dealer of purple goods. That's what it says. And she was a God worshiper. And so that's the Bible's way of saying she wasn't Jewish, but she somehow, over time, came to know that the gods that the Jews worshipped, that was the true God. And so this is a, it's, it's a tremendous, um, it's a kind of tremendous religious marketplace. Uh, all the peoples, there's, it's, it's a, in like our, our city here in San Jose, very multi-ethnic, lots of different religions, lots of different places of worship, all kinds of different gods being called upon. And as you might imagine, it would be an odd person who would think, who had ultimately come to somehow, she must have come in contact with people who knew the scriptures. And she started to sense that whatever gods I grew up with, I don't think this is it. This God that they're talking about, the stories that they tell about him, I think he's the real God. And she began to worship that God. And then when Paul stood up to speak of that God and what he has done through his son Jesus, she believed. Right? So she was the first convert in that city. And to say that she is a, a, a dealer of purple goods, that's a, that's a very kind of telling detail. This is the way the Bible often talks. They give you these small little details which can almost take you into a whole world. And purple goods, it's, it's not like today where, um, where you can just go to stores and there's just, you know, we, we're just, you know, we radiate with all kinds of different colors. People generally wore drab clothes, right? And to... And to wear fine purple goods, I mean, it took the special dye that came from um, special, I don't, I don't know the whole biology of it, but it only came from special places. And the Greco-Roman world was probably one of the first places of global commerce. I'm not kidding. It's so normal to us, but if you don't have an empire that can basically conquer the world and then make them begin to trade with each other in peace, you can't get global commerce. And so here she is. She is really an early, <laughs> she's, oh, she's an early global marketplace capitalist, okay? That's a, that's a kind of a strange way of putting it, um, but that's what she's doing. So when I think of Lydia, I think of someone who is probably upper middle class, if not upper class. She probably runs a successful business. She probably lives in a large home. She's well-off. She's educated. So when she came to believe, 
in the God of the Bible, she's not, she's not some kind of unsophisticated poor person. She has seriously considered this question. She is not, she's a sophisticated person who's gone from city to city to city. She's encountered many different gods, many different cultures. She has met lots of different smart and sophisticated people who do business and understand world economics and crossing cultures, how to be successful in the world. This is the kind of person she is. And so she hears the gospel, and she gets saved. And then this is what she does. She comes up to Paul and Silas and says, if you would consider me worthy, would you gather in my house? You want to know where this church started? It started in Lydia's house. It didn't start in a a nice building with a steeple and a cross because, well, there wasn't any such things because Christianity was so despised back then or so new, and indeed it was despised. It was generally uh, despised by by Roman elites as a kind of gutter religion of Jews because Jews were looked down upon. So that's the first convert. And so then from there, Paul and Silas go to the city square and there is, and as they go, they usually try to go to the center of the city where all the ideas are being transferred back and forth. And they come across a slave girl who apparently has some type of divination spirit inside of her. That's the way the scriptures put it. Um, and I know that some of you may have, well, okay, let me back up a little bit. She has some type of a spirit that she is possessed by, and the spirit has powers to be able to speak into people's future. And she's a slave, so the people who own her, the people who own her, use her, use that power for money. Right? So she's a tremendously oppressed person. She's incredibly, she's probably about as low as you can be on the socioeconomic scale in, in the society. She is spiritually oppressed. She is economically oppressed. She has no real... Um, power and control over her own life. She is used over for the, the, the economic gain of others. And this demon that's inside of her goes around so she's, as she, she, to Paul and Silas. These are the guys who know and speak of salvation of the real God. So somehow this demon knows and recognizes. This is really a, a really weird story. And so some of you are maybe thinking, like, I'm not even sure I believe in that. And um, I just, I know that in, in our time and day, a lot of people think that science explains everything. And um, I just want to, without making a big case for it, because I think that's just, a bit, I don't want to get sidetracked this message here. Um, I just want to just drop this idea into your mind. Science only deals with things you can verify and disconfirm through experimentation. That's all it deals with. And science at its core is about the natural world. <laughs> things, and that, it's only things in the natural world that you can do this with, right? that you can experiment, verify, and disconfirm. And so let me just put this uh, point to you, that if you're a person that just thinks, I don't think there's such a thing as demons and there's spirits, um, and science disproves it, you're co- just categorically, philosophically, it's just absolutely false. Science is utterly incompetent to do such a thing. You can't do that. Because we're talking about something that's supernatural, beyond the natural. So I just want to say that to you to just give you sort of a timeout and hopefully at least maybe open your mind. So anyway, this slave girl goes around and keeps saying this thing. These guys are the ones that speak salvation of the true God. And it's so, and she keeps saying it, which is really the demon keeps saying this. And she does this over several days and it annoys this is really, it's, it actually says this in the Bible. It annoys Paul, not because he has this deep love and compassion, but it annoys him so much, he turns around and he casts this demon out. And he says, get out of her. And then the demon leaves. And then suddenly, she's, she's freed. And you would think that would be a joyful occasion, but the people who make the, the green off her They are not happy about this. And apparently they have some power and pull in the society. So what they do is they form a mob, drag Paul and Silas, accuse them of disrupting the city and of saying things as Jews that really undermine Roman rule and Roman respectability. And and some of you are thinking like, well, come on. I mean, you know, like how, how can that happen? And I just want to just drop this idea to you. There's always things in every society 
that whoever the ruling powers are, if you speak things that are perceived as undermining what they consider as right and good for the society, you will draw offense. You will draw offense. And so today, if somebody came into the city and started preaching a message, was saying something that, say, let's just take an example. These people have come into the city and are preaching and teaching that black people are inferior. If they just went around and did that, then do you think a mob could start? <laughs> I definitely think a mob could start. And, it's, and let's say they actually drew attention and people started believing and following what they're teaching. Do you think a mob could start? That's exactly what happened. So Paul does this remarkable thing of healing this tremendously oppressed and poor, poor slave girl. For his thanks, a mob starts, they beat him. He gets falsely accused of doing things uh, that would be considered offensive in the society, although he's not really doing that. And then he gets tossed into prison. <laughs> so when Paul was starting a church in Philippi, before the church even really gets going, he lands in prison for not even breaking any laws. So he and Silas are in prison. And let me tell you what they do in prison. They sing. They're locked up. They sing praises to their God. And I, I've, I, since I was young, I've often thought about this, this story. How could you do that? Um, a Roman prison isn't anything near as nice and as sanitary as anything like an American prison. And although and American prisons are pretty bad from what I understand. And yet they sat in prison. But just think about this. They walked into a city. They hoped to spread the gospel. And before they even, you know, before they even got going, they already have a base of operation. They have the house of, a, of an educated, well-respected woman. Um, Paul saw incredible power defeating the demonic right before his eyes. You think he would be saying, oh, no, woe is me. You know, God, what's wrong with you? <laughs> no, that's not what he's doing. He said he's giving power, he's giving praise to God in the midst of seemingly really terrible circumstances. And this is what happens next. Then an earthquake hits. The doors fly open. And then... Nobody leaves. The jailer runs out thinking, so there's a Philippian jailer, works for the Roman Empire. He thinks, if I lose these prisoners, that's it. So he pulls out his sword, ready to kill himself, and Paul goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Stop it. We're still here. The jailer runs into the prison cell, drops to his knees, and says this. What must I do to be saved? And Paul says, believe in Jesus. You, you can share it with your house, and they'll be saved too. And that's what this jailer did. He unleashed them, brought them back to his house, bound up their wounds, Paul and Silas, and then afterwards, the whole, he told the whole family, they heard the gospel, and his whole family got baptized right there, boom, just like that's how the church started. So you want to know how this church started? You have an upper middle class, educated, sophisticated businesswoman. It meets in her house. Um, the next member of the church is about as low as, and as, as, as lacking in power as there can be as somebody in society. She's probably, I've, um, I've been reading different scholars on this, and most people probably think she was probably not... She's a slave girl, and that means she was probably from a different part of the world. She was probably a different race, different skin color. She might have been African. She might have been Asian. You literally had maybe someone that was more Mediterranean look in, um, in Lydia, and you might have had someone that looked more African than the slave girl sitting right there in her living room. And then you have this jailer who himself was probably, he may not have been a full-on Roman citizen himself, and a jailer is a lower middle class, it's a kind of working class grunt's job. Hmm? Uh, it's, I mean, think about today, a guy who's a prison guard is not usually very high in the socioeconomic ladder today, probably not then either. 
And he's not the kind of person that would have been saved by a message. So you have, there's three different people saved in three different ways. You have Paul, um, you have Lydia saved by preaching and hearing a word and considering it with her education and her mind. You have a girl who is saved by supernatural grace, just supernatural power to release her from whatever is, is destroying her inside. And then you have a third person who would say, there's no way, he probably would never go to church. It's like, who are these guys who always go around? And yet, he encountered something of power at a time of tremendous weakness where he thought his life was over. Actually, his life was just beginning. This is the start of this church. And imagine if this was the seedbed of the people of this church. What other kinds of people can come into this church? This is the, the kind of people that come into this church. Um, in this day and age, when people go to church, churches often run, and everything in our society is commoditized, and it's all run like consumers. And whether you and I, we want to admit this or not, we're constant consumers. We buy and sell and choose everything. We take it as a natural-born right that I get to choose everything in my life. I get to choose what I eat. I get to choose what I wear. I get to choose my God. I get to choose my church. I get to choose my friends. So we just take this as a natural-born right. But actually, there's a tremendous downside to this. What that means is, is we treat God which, which is, and church, all of which is supposed to be bigger than us, all of which is, is something so tremendous that we need and we should come in with humility. And yet, if we treat it as, as just like, well, it's a different thing, Safeway or that gym or whether I choose a Big Mac today or, or, or eat pho, right? And, oh, well, I choose that church and I choose that God. And how do we do it? We tend to do it with our own wisdom and the things that we do. And it makes churches very narrow, it makes all the churches market segmented into all the kind of people who think, I already know what I like and I already know what I need and I already know how I'm going to get gone. And so, the people, as we even operate church, it's geared toward just, just each church. That church is where white upper middle class folks go. That church is where, uh, is where uh, lower black people go. That church is where the engineers go. That church is where the pretty church people go, right? That church is where the Koreans go. That church is where the, the Chinese go. And, and do you ever wonder why people don't want, uh, think that religion is a man-made thing? Or that God, as, ta- as taught by Christians, is just another commodity of something that we buy and we control because the church looks like that, And yet, if you ever came to this church, you would never think that. It would be the weirdest thing. It's like no community in Philippi. You'd walk into this church, and you would meet three different strata, three different races. You would hear three astonishing stories, and yet all the people came. They all may have different reasons to resist the things of God, and yet they all came in knowing there was weakness. There was need. There was vulnerability. And they all rejoiced in this person, Jesus. And you would say there's something happening inside this people. I've never seen anything like this before. And often, when Pastor Young and I, and I've shared this so many with our our members, what could our church become? It is is my dream that our church would be like this. Yes, that we would have poor people in this church. We'd have every race, we'd have old, and we'd have young. We wouldn't just have college students showing up because I'm lonely and I got a date, so I got to go to a place where I can find find a girlfriend. <laughs> and or uh, or we got older folks, fifty something year olds and forty something year olds, like oh, you know, who are crotchety, going like, hey, you know, I don't want these young kids around bothering me. <laughs> and and in every other ways that we do this market segmentation, and yet. Instead, people come with the sense that I need something more than business. I need something more than science. I need something more than me. I need God. 
And I think it's here. Now let me take you to part two of my message. Partakers and partners. It says here in Philippians chapter one, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. And listen to what he says. This is verse verse five. Is it verse five? My eyesight's not as good, sorry. Isn't that really lame? All right, all right. Because um, of your partnership in the gospel from the first day till now. And then later on in verse 7, he says, you are partakers of with me in grace. You are partakers of me in grace. And I want to just, I want us to chew on those two pictures of how Paul looks at his brothers and sisters, his fellow members of the church. On one hand, you are partners with me of the gospel. On the other hand, you are partakers with me of grace. Um, I, uh, you know, I think those are two pretty good translations. But actually, um, I took a good look at the Greek word there, and it's actually quite astonishing. When you look at the Greek words, I didn't expect this. You usually have a pretty good feel for when I think the Greek is going to have something surprising, and it does, and, and when I think it's just going to be pretty, actually kind of boring. Um, but in this case, I was wrong. Um, I thought it was going to be boring, and it turned out to be quite surprising. And if you use the, the English word partake, what, what do you guys think of when you, when you hear the word partake? What does partake usually make you think about? Hmm? Participation? What else does partake usually think of? Eating. Eating, right? So that's usually what partake usually means. We participate in something, we partake in an activity, or we partake in a food. <laughs> so we eat it. Right? And so partake usually means we're usually kind of getting something, we tend to think of partake as like we're going to take something into ourselves and we're getting something. In this case, we're partakers of what? Grace. And if you believe in Jesus and you consider yourself a Christian, you consider yourself born again through the Holy Spirit, through Jesus Christ, I hope that primarily what you see yourself is one who eats grace. <laughs> this is the thing that we participate in which, quite frankly, is different than everything else. There is no other religion, there is no other worldview that banks on grace. And what is grace? It is that we've been given something which we can never earn, which we can never deserve even, which we can never even hope to deserve. Because what at the center of the gospel is a proclamation that he was holy God, made himself holy man, Jesus Christ, so that he would live the life we should have lived. But then he dies the death we deserve to die because we do not live as we ought to live. And then, thus, if we become united to him through faith, we would receive all that only he deserves. (laughs) What the most utterly righteous, the most beautiful, the most gentle, the most humble, the most wise, the most giving, the most loving person and I think you and I know we should be gentle, we should be humble, we should be wise, we should be generous, we should be merciful, we should be all these things. Certainly we should be loving. Every single day we fail these things. And yet if we have Jesus, we receive all of God's acceptance, all of his acclamation, all of his, his eternal presence and the ocean and ocean of love which comes from God, that's what we get. This is all grace. <laughs> you don't earn it. You can't earn it. In fact, you, you and I, we deserve exactly the opposite. We deserve rejection. We deserve criticism. We deserve complaint. You and I, every day throughout our life, you know that if somebody complains about you, your spouse, your boss, your friends, we don't like it. And of course, that's not always deserved, but... You and I know that at least half the time, maybe more than half the time, if we're honest, it is deserved. And there's many times that in our life someone has left us or rejected us or even hated us. And if we're very honest, we would know that a certain percentage of those times, we earned it. (laughs) That's what we earned. And there are times we do earn some praise, but to receive the absolute unending acceptance of God. That's all of grace. And 
when, I don't know about you, but mostly when I come to church, I don't feel myself as a strong person. And I'm the professional Christian. <laughs> I'm the professional Christian, but oftentimes when I walk in here, I'll just share with you today, um, John and Joseph, thank you for your praise today. Second song, the first song I came in tired and um, weary. I'm a pastor. I'm, I get tired and weary, and I don't always wake up every day on Sunday going, yes, I want to worship Jesus. <laughs> I wake up and some days going like, darn it, work. <laughs> Today I woke up that way. But somewhere in the middle of that second song, I received grace. We partake of grace, and that's what we mostly want. But there's no such thing as partaking of grace. We're always looking to receive something and that's mostly what we do when we go to church, to receive something that we need, that we know that you can't get anywhere else. And we, if we're honest enough, you can't deserve. But Paul also talks about this other word, a partner. A partner, and what's a partner? A partner who is someone who comes alongside of you. If you run out into the football field, he's the one that will have your back. He will block for you. A partner is one, if you're running this business and you screw up, your partner will pick you up. A partner is one is, I went into this venture and I could not do this by myself. I needed somebody else. I needed somebody with me. I had a partner. Uh, a, a wife is a life partner. It's admission from a man, I'm not going to make it through this life or I don't think I'm going to make it through this life by myself. I need someone to pick me up. Let me tell you something. Husbands, if you don't look at your wife that way, you have no idea what, what you, why you need her. <laughs> a partner, is, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting dynamic because on one hand, you're saying you need somebody. <laughs> but on the other hand, that person does something for you that someone does and, and, is, and does it willingly. That's a real partner. And it's very interesting. Now, let me get to the Greek. When you get to the Greek... When I got to the word that underneath partner is the koinonos. It's the koinonos of the, of the gospel. The partner of the gospel is the koinonos of the gospel. And then when you get to the partaker of grace, it's the sunkainonos. The sunkainonos of grace. So really, you know what he's saying? He's actually saying the same thing. It's the koinonos. Now, what's koinonos? Um, it's not a word that's quite easy to translate into English. In English, it's been historically translated fellowship, but I think the translators of the English Standard Version, which we use, did it right. They didn't choose fellowship. Fellowship is, in, in kind of American Christian language, is almost kind of a dead word. So there's the worship hall, and then there's the fellowship hall. What does fellowship mean? It's the place where we drink a cup of coffee and then have casual talk. It's considered, it's this very low activity. It's a fellowship place. Let's go have fellowship together. That means we're going to go out to eat and then chit-chat about you know, how much we enjoyed the basketball game last night. Right? I mean, that's very often the way uh, we Christians, and Christians are you the ones who use this word fellowship. Right? Um, actually, have you seen the movie The Fellowship of the Ring? <laughs> the Fellowship of the Ring? That is a much better that actually has a much more biblical... That, that movie could be called the Koinonos of the Ring. <laughs> right? Because they're on this incredible mission and none of them could do it on their own. And as they go into battle after battle, do you notice in one battle you needed the elves and in one battle you needed the wizard. <laughs> in one battle you needed the hobbit. And so different ones had something to contribute and they had a different weakness that movie could be called the koinonos of the ring. That vision is what the Bible is getting at. <laughs> to be a partaker of grace is also to be a partner of the gospel. You are a koinonos of grace. You are a, you, to, to, what does it mean to, to, to be a koinos? It means to take part in. It means to eat of it. It actually says in the Bible that if you are, you are taking part, it's the same word. You take part in the Lord's Supper to eat of the bread, which is the body of Christ, to drink of the wine of the blood of Christ. You are koinonos, you are taking part. 
You are participating. You are a partaker. You are a partner. That's the vision. And I want you to think about this. Um, Here you have in this early church, Paul is writing this letter from a jail. (laughs) So it seems like Paul ends up in jail a lot. And, um, And so... He probably looked like the biggest failure of a pastor ever. <laughs> this guy preaches and ends up in jail. And yet, um, he expected that the society would reject him. He expected that they would be despised. And by the way, he wasn't just despised by Romans. He was despised by Jews, his very own people that's supposed to understand this God and the theology and of the Bible that he's talking about. They would hate him. So he... I mean, it's, it's a, the, he could chug along. And let me ask you why I think, he, let me present why I think he could do it. He's writing this letter from a prison. If he's a normal human being, and I'm sure he was a normal human being, I mean, he doesn't, he, he's not Mr. Super Holy, wakes up in prison going, I'm in prison, I love Jesus, yes. <laughs> he's in prison, the guy sitting on the other side of prison, is that guy going to beat me up? I have to sit in this toilet while this guy over there mocks me. How long am I going to rot in this hole? I, I don't, I don't, I, don't I, I can't. If he's normal and he's got to be normal, those thoughts have to come to him. God, are you there? Are you there? You, you and I, do you ever walk through this life and you're not in a prison? <laughs> You are not fearing, for the most part, probably physical endangerment. Um, You and I may have some fears about rejection from society, especially the more we show our Christianity and our faith. But for the most part, and yet we still think, God, are you there? God, are you there? And yet when he writes this letter, he can think about this church. He can think about this church, and he can remember, these are my brothers and sisters. There's Lydia... There is the girl who was released from the demonic. There's my deep buddy. <laughs> my deep buddy who he used to be my jailer. And whenever I go to Philippi, his wife, <laughs> his wife makes that dish. And his kids embrace me. And I baptize all those guys. And they're not ashamed of me. Though I'm in prison, they're not ashamed of me. And, you're gonna, and we're gonna, as we go into this book, you'll see they're not. In fact, I'll, I'll, when we go a few chapters later, they actually expend a great deal of energy and money to send one of their brothers to go visit Paul and minister to Paul while he's in prison. So far from being ashamed of Paul and rejecting Paul and denying that they know Paul and of the gospel that he preaches, in fact, they go all the more to embrace him. <laughs> what are they doing? They have learned that to receive a grace from Jesus is to pass on a grace. To receive power from Jesus is to convey that power. How is that power conveyed? <laughs> Through picking his brother, their brother up, by being there for them, walking together. A weird and odd people that have no business ever having this koinonos. And this, it's this picture. Um... There's a dream. In some sense, it's a dream, but it wasn't a dream. It was real. This is a real church. These are real people. You know her name. She, she, she didn't flip hamburgers. You know exactly what she did. These are not, this isn't just some strange thing. These are people, and when Paul thinks of them, he sees God alive in them. He knows the, the true and living God and the power of his grace the life that flows out of the gospel is alive in them. And he shares this life. And when he hangs out with them, they remind him of the God that he trusts, that Jesus is with him. And when he looks upon their face, he knows Jesus is with me. Look, a number of you and I, you know, we all believe, a number of us, all of you, I know some of you don't believe, But those of you who call yourself Christians, you and I, we believe this. But there are always days our our faith is weak. We believe this, and some days, well, I 
I'm kind of dropping into a B minus belief and D minus belief. Um, you know, on a good day, I'm at that 85% cranking level, and every now and then, you know, after a great prayer time and a strong worship time and a great retreat, I'm cranking up to 95. But there are days, you know, our, our little like faith meter drops down to 60 and 50, and some of you may have even ever been much lower than that. I want to get to the final portion of my message today. We share in Christ. I already said to you that what does it mean? It's a koinonos in Christ. It, we partake of Jesus, but we also partake with Jesus. Jesus came to give us himself. So when we, what are we partaking together? What are we taking in? What are we participating in? It's the very life of Jesus himself. Jesus didn't just come to give you an idea or a message or a concept or like a five points of how to do your life better or how to be a better parent, how to make more money. No, to, to give you the life you and I deeply need and long for, he gave us the life that's in him. In order to do that, he died. We partake of his life. But here's how he did it. He came and met with us and he says, I would like to give you my life. Oh, you're impatient. Oh, you're, you're this consumer. You show up and you think you know what you need. You showed up. You didn't even come here to get me. You came here to get a girlfriend. <laughs> you came here to, to, to get more business partners. You came here just because you want some friends and because you're lonely. And this church happens to have the kind of people you like to become friends with. So you came here to do sociological market niche. You didn't even come here for me. And isn't that the way most of us come into church? We come into church on every given Sunday or any given gathering of the church. If it doesn't immediately seem to kind of meet my needs, my needs, we kind of slump and we become impatient and we get fidgety inside of ourselves. And then other people notice that. And we're all this way. Because deep down, we're not partaking of Christ and of his grace. We're partaking of, of our own wisdom and of what we think we're going to get out of it. <laughs> we're partaking of our consumeristic wisdom, which means in the center of our life is me. And if it's in the center of our life is me and of my own wisdom, guess what? You will not partake of the thing which God, because Christ will give him, you his life when he comes into the center of your life. And the center of your life is where we partake of grace. But then here it gets even odder. He also came to be a partner with us. He says, I know you fall down. We believe that Jesus Christ paid for my sins up there on that cross. So one day when I get up to heaven and stand before God, he won't cast me out, hopefully. Because I can plead that Jesus forgave me of my sins. His righteousness covers me. But let me tell you something. That's not all there is to it. He's your partner every day. He picks you up when you are low. When your faith meter drops to 60 and 40 and maybe even close to zero, then he will come yet again. Never gives up on you. And just as a good partner does, we'll pick you up. And you know what it is? He's calling people into the church. To take in the life of Jesus is to be a partner with Jesus. I often think of this. On my days when I'm a really discouraged Christian, and I'm a very discouraged pastor, what, there's two things that keep me going. Number one is, I remember Jesus is there for me. And I run to him. The second thing, and I know he's my partner and my life. But the second thing I remember is, let me go to my partners. I'll call up certain brothers and sisters. Or I will just go. I will just go to small group. I will just go to my, well, we call them gospel life group families now. I'll just go there with just expectation that if one of my brothers and sisters 
is living for Jesus, maybe one of them will pick me up. They will sometimes literally pick me up. Sometimes they may encourage me. And it's just because I see Jesus alive in them. It picks me up. Um, I'm going to close with a, a funny story that I heard yesterday. It's, it's almost magical how these things happen. <laughs> um, as a part of our, our mission to go out to the Native American Reservation um, to train up our mission team, what we do on, the, on that reservation is hard. We're, we're crossing into a very broken world. Quite frankly, I, I absolutely think there's, it's a demonic world. Some of the things, there's so much death on that reservation, and there's so much self-hatred among some of the Indians I absolutely believe it is, a, it is a demonically ridden place. We are walking into a demonically ridden place. don't mean to scare any of you who, who want to go to Bishop, okay? Um, and we train, and as a part of our training, we've, we've, I've asked this year um, our team members to, to go to a place of faith that they've never gone to before. <laughs> to go into a weird world, and to go into a place of just difficult culture-wise, and just it's unfamiliar, and to trust that Jesus, they could partake of grace and partner in the gospel, because this is what we're going to do when we go out to Bishop. So yesterday, one of our teams went to the Golden Gate Park in San Francisco, and they were going to serve a Mongolian church. And apparently there's something like 8,000 Mongolians that live in the Bay Area, and they were having a Mongolian festival out in, Golden Gate Bridge, out in Golden Gate Park. And this church set up, it's a small church, maybe less than 50, 60 people. And they set up a tent. And about 12 <laughs> uh, Asian Americans from our church, uh, mostly Koreans. And the leader is Deacon C.S. Kong. And C.S. said, it's really weird. We're Korean, they're Mongolian. We kind of look like them, but we're, we're not like them. And we even walked in their parade. They were wearing their Mongolian dress. Of course, we were not, because we don't have any. <laughs> and we walked in this, and it was really, and it was tough. It was really tough. Um, because then we had to eat these really weird foods. We ate, we, they drank um, horse milk. Apparently, it's pretty sour. And they ate... Uh, um, Mongolian dumpling, which apparently is not like Chinese dumpling and not like Korean dumpling and not like Japanese dumpling. It's different. It's pretty oily from what I heard. Although my, my, my youngest, my daughter went, my youngest, my, my baby girl, she went, she said, it was good. It's really greasy. <laughs> and, yet they, and yet each of them went out of their way to look at all these odd people. So here they are. They're hanging out with Mongolians. The youth pastor is a guy named... Well, they call him Pastor Bobby, but he actually his actual name is, is unpronounceable. It's like Zoltangorol. I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't pronounce it, okay? They, call, they just call him Pastor Bobby. And Pastor Bobby, deliberately looking for Tibetans, because apparently Tibetans like Mongolians. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. So the Mongolian church wants to reach Tibetans with the gospel. So you got these mostly Korean-Americans and a couple who weren't, from San Jose in San Francisco, eating Mongolian food, trying to reach Tibetans with a pastor whose name they cannot pronounce, hence they call him Bobby. (laughs) And at the end of the day, as they parted, Bobby said, thank you so much for walking with us today. And then he prayed for our team, and he prayed for Paiutes. He prayed for Indians. And C.S., his face started getting moved as he talked about this. He said, it was really moving. He warmed us so much. We went to go serve him, but he served us. See what this is? It's something like the Philippian church right here in the Bay Area, right out of our church. It's happening. It's happening. And I pray that you will come to Gospel Life families and you will want to do this, our activities and some of you want to go out to Bishop and some of you want to go out and hang out with Mongolians. <laughs> and these are some of the weird things we're doing so that we'll be partakers of grace and partners with Jesus for Jesus. Let's pray.
Thank you for Pastor Bobby, though that's not his real name. (laughs) He is like a Lydia to us. Though we were a different ethnicity of him than him and spoke a different language than him. And he would love a people different than him and receive us. And his heart would go out to Indians whom he's never seen and embrace us with welcome so that together we would partake and receive grace and we would have koinonos, we would be, have a koinonia, a deep, profound fellowship, not a fellowship of the ring, a fellowship of Christ, a fellowship of the gospel. And I pray you would make us a people like this. Not a selfish set of consumers, ever so wise in our own folly and the darkness of our own minds and of all that we think that we need. But to walk in with weakness to know that we need grace. And Jesus has come to redeem us, to wash us, but to walk with us every day. And to give us partners who would pick us up just as he picks us up. And as when our partners pick us up, we would know the great partner, the great one, the Redeemer himself is picking us up. And we would be a church so filled with joy that maybe even in the future when our society begins to reject us, when our society begins to impose legal fines on us and maybe even imprison us, we would be like this church and run to our brothers and sisters and pick them up and we'd have joy. The kind of joy that can only come from heaven that can only come from a God like you, Jesus. Make us into a church like this. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Let's respond to him now. Give your heart. If you consider yourself a, a member of our church and a lover of Jesus, give your gifts gladly in the offering, being a partner of the gospel. And... Uh, And determine yourself, I'm going to walk with these people as I walk with Jesus to receive all of his grace and to prod his gospel.